What's the crack? I'm Brona. And I'm Ava. We enjoy listening to people tell their stories. And hearing their different perspectives. Which is why we started this podcast. In today's episode, we speak to Jen Zen, who is an energy intuitive and a lover of nature and animals. She also lives the off the grid lifestyle in her yurt like our ancestors did many years ago. In this episode, we learn about her spirituality journey as well as what life is like living off the land and in the earth hello hi thanks for this no worries at all at all give a dog he's in a really bad way today it's the fireworks you can see he's panting okay. like crazy like oh yeah sorry now he might be a bit overpowering he's probably just trying to sit on me for the whole time oh, don't worry about it he can join oh. in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, Jen, could you give a brief introduction to our listeners? Yes. So my name is Jen and I'm a hairstylist. But at the moment, I live on my land in East Clare. I bought a piece of land a year ago and I live completely off grid. Yeah, no electricity or anything (laughs) um, in my yurt because I just really wanted to be as close to nature as I could. Even though I'm still a hairstylist, I don't work as much as I used to or anything anymore. My main priority at the moment is really living off the land and just you know trying to get to a place where I can do that I'm still relatively new at this and I'm learning a lot I'm here on my land about a year but this is my third winter living in the yurt I bought a yurt after I came out of a long-term relationship in the kind of mentality of diving deep to be in a circle space because this is how the ancestors would have lived years ago Would you be able to clarify, just in case anyone doesn't know exactly what a yurt is? So a yurt is essentially a fancy tent. It's a round structure. They're mainly in Mongolia. Like Ireland wouldn't be a great place for a yurt because of our damp weather. Like it's not that practical here, but nonetheless, I really want to live in it because it had the roundness. Mine is made out of hazel sticks, hazel poles from the forest, but straight cut timber can also be used. And it's all all just done with like basically wood um, poles from the forest and canvas so the canvas would be a lot stronger than what would be on a tent you know um, and there's insulation and a stove so it's obviously really warm and it gets like a sauna in here if anybody's gone glamping they'll know we were kind of wondering about the earth and like what that kind of off the grid yurt lifestyle looks like so what's a day in the life of living in the earth exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> depends what season it is you really are one with the weather when you live in a yurt especially in ireland but i knew that it would feel like living outside except it'd still be cozy and warm and because it's round as well the energy flows better i noticed that when i lived in a house and it was square that i was waking up and I felt energy in houses that I don't feel in the yurt. I would feel certain things and sometimes I saw things and I had really bad nightmares and sleep paralysis. It was like something really was guiding me to live in a yurt because I did have like this vision one time when I was pretty depressed and I just couldn't get out of bed you know I was about 30 at the time and I was lying in bed. I remember that my body couldn't move and I'm also Piscean you know so the Pisces would like escape into 
other realities almost. And I could imagine myself going off and I was living in, I was living in on land like this. I'm lying in my bed in Dublin, but I was visualizing this beautiful land in Ireland because I love Ireland. And I lived in a yurt. That was my go-to place during this heavy time of depression where I just closed my eyes and I'd imagine I was in that place. So I think the yurt came from there. There's like a deep kind of remembrance inside of us all about our ancestry, but we don't really know. But you know, sometimes we'll get deja vu or we'll just be like, was I here before? There'll just be little things, but that's kind of what that is when that happens. And since I started living in the yurt, I started to feel that. I, I was like, oh yeah, but like we all would have lived in round buildings back in the day. Our ancestors would have, and we're all connected to our ancestors. So yeah, living in the yurt, basically, it's all tied down with ropes and it's staked into the ground. And that has to be done really well because I've had some pretty dodgy experiences with it. There was a couple of little faults with this yurt, which led to my roof kind of lifting a little bit in high winds. And then one side of it slightly collapsing. And oh yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a journey, let's say, you know. I remember <laughs> one night just before I came last winter and I got my cats. I had three cats at the time and I had like two cat carriers and I just put the cats in the cat carriers and the dog and like we just ran because I knew the roof was going to spin and just got out of here and I was on the road in the wind and rain you know trying to get through to a friend who lived up the road because I don't drive either because of my epilepsy and nobody's out in the road you know I was going to hitch with like all the animals but when I came back the following day oh yeah the roof had caved in and everything was ruined so I don't know maybe if I'd known all the things that may have gone wrong I might have never moved into the yurt but I'm glad I didn't know and now this is my third time moving the yurt and it's done a lot better now we know how to do the ropes properly so all these things are really important and then you know living in it like at night I'm doing the fire say you kind of need to get the fire done before dark you know I'm not a very organized person and in a way even though people think this is out there and pretty wild it kind of made me a bit more organized because Mm. I had to get certain things done before dark you have to get your wood in before dark you have to have enough wood like there's no other heating and then it's like regulating the fire as well I would put in some turf like just before I'd go to bed so that it would last a little bit longer because the wood burns too quick and I have it insulated quite well again it took me a while to figure out how to insulate it properly because you think it's done and like the first year I lived in the yurt like this will be my third winter so the first winter and I I don't know I just made things very difficult for myself I moved in the night before a storm but I remember I thought it was all done properly and I thought I had the insulation done and then I just felt these breezes like coming in in different parts so I had to just stuff in more insulation in these parts it was just kind of learning these things because I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be really cold and I went through periods of like you know adding to the fire in the middle of the night but now I think I have it fairly sussed like you know it's not too bad when I wake up in the morning it's a bit cold I have a little gas camping stove in the yurt and I put that on for a cup of tea first thing in the morning and that heats up the place because it's such a small space like it's 18 foot my yurt now you can get them smaller but I couldn't have had it any smaller (laughs) and yeah like I cook on my little camping stove cooking quite simply like that felt like our ancestors would have I know they wouldn't have had gas but just being that simple where it's like okay you know I started to grow up my vegetables get my vegetables and you're just making a big pot of like lentils and veg you know and you're kind of eating for how you're feeling as well whereas I felt like when I lived in the city I was just always eating and I was snacking and I was going into the shop and I was buying
trying random things and here it's not like that I'm like okay I need to get up and have my porridge and then I need to eat two eggs for the work I'm doing outside and the yurt is almost like a shelter more so so I'm outside whatever the weather is really during the day and then when I come back in here at night time I just love it and I do have fairy lights and that's really what I have for lighting and I have rechargeable batteries so I have a power source kind of like a little thing that I charge them off of I don't even turn on the fairy lights I use them for visitors I kind of like to sit in the dark myself at night time and I have a head torch that if I'm cooking and it's gone dark I just put the head torch on and I'll light a candle and it just really keeps me grounded you know because you're sitting there in nearly all darkness and you hear the weather and you'll feel the yurt moving if it's kind of windy the yurt will rock a little bit which is kind of really beautiful when the rain is pouring on it you start to feel like you're cleansing so it's like you're doing this inner work constantly with the yurt and I always see the yurt as like a womb space and it's holding me you know and then I do a lot of dancing in the yurt I used to be so into music but since I started living in the yurt I started going with the elements with the wild weather if the weather was really windy I would just dance with the wind and the rain and stuff like that that's just so like fascinating Mm. it's just so different you know (laughs) actually though we were wondering how safe would it be to live on a yurt because we know we'd actually be a little bit afraid to just kind of sleep in the fields like you were saying you know well again it has to be done really properly especially where I am now I'm very much further back up the land very much in the middle of nowhere and I know people go how can you be there like at night time on your own and is it not terrifying but I suppose for me it's not I mean on a practical level it's okay you know once it's tied down properly that's the key it actually does withstand storms and it is safe in that sense and nobody knows I'm up here really you know like I know my mom says you do you even lock that door and I'm like but like the most valuable thing would be to rob the actual yurt you know what's somebody <laughs> gonna but regarding kind of being here I suppose as a child I used to sleep in the hay shed with my dogs I had Uh, it's like I had over 10 dogs at one point when I was a child and I did see them as my brothers and sisters we lived in a really old house and the house was quite haunted actually and I used to see and feel things in that house all the time and I never got believed so I just kind of went off myself and slept outside so I was just kind (laughs) of used to it I suppose it's been something that's been embedded in me now I've had friends come and stay here and they're from the town and they wouldn't have grown up like that and they love it it really helps them and it heals them but yeah one of my friends is like I don't know if I could stay on my own Jen like one of the first nights I was in the yurt this was really beautiful I thought but I'm sure it would scare the shit out of somebody else (laughs) I was lying in bed up against the canvas of the yurt I saw these two antlers they pushed into my canvas and it was a big stag and like I came out and the stag was like running up the field oh my gosh that's amazing but I do think it would frighten me a little bit (laughs) I suppose as well another thing we were wondering now if you don't want to answer this totally fine but like I was just wondering what the cost of kind of living is like in the earth because you know we obviously pay so much for our houses and like globalization consumerism and all that our lives can get very expensive so what is it like for you you know living this off the grid lifestyle yeah well that's a really big one for me actually it's a really good question because I did live in Dublin you know and I did pay lots of like expensive rent and 
I was pretty lucky where I was living the last time because I asked her, could I take it on and pay less rent and just do it up? But my God, other people were just paying like crazy money. And then, you know, the bills. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't get any bills. So that's yeah. amazing. And the cost of living is crazy cheap. There's just nothing to pay for essentially, apart from food, my gas barrel, which doesn't really run out that often. Like it's, it lasts me for ages because it's just me. Like the yurt itself cost me four grand. Then I had to get a platform built for it. I actually forget how much that was. Like after that, yeah, Mm. the cost of living is nothing. But I suppose I feel what I am paying for. And I do feel like, oh God, I'm kind of broke and I need money for this. It's more just for someone to help me on the land. A friend of mine will work for me here because I'm pretty useless. Some people take on land and they're just master carpenters, you know, or they're really DIY people. And that I'm not. I'm a feeler and I commune with the wild and the natural world. But practically I'm useless. And... That's something that I find actually really difficult. Yeah, I do have to pay for certain things. You know, you just need little sheds built and stuff like that. So that's where my money is going to when I get money. But to actually live daily in the yurt, it's really cheap. And by next year, I hope I'll be eating all my own veg. Yeah, so you're really only paying for food and there's no social life really. Like, you know, because I lived in Dublin, I went out all the time. I partied a lot. It's funny because you become more frugal with money then. And then you're thinking, Jesus, I would have spent like how much? on a night out in Dublin even socially like there is a bit of a scene here you know like people will meet in in other people's land or whatever and have a bit of a hoodie and you know that's really nice there's still a sense of community but money wise yeah it's very cheap and that's a big plus because I think everybody's starting to realize now you know we're spending so much money and if you didn't want to live in a yurt I mean people are buying these little flat pack cabins there's just so many alternative ways to live now I have seen a lot of people coming back to more like minimalistic lifestyles even if it means just going to live in like a small hut or a kind of trailer home or something like that and just caravan yeah like a caravan and just having like less stuff and just less space because and everybody says they feel a lot happier when you're not like attached to so many things or reliant on so many things you feel so much better it's crazy like you know I know I talk about the yurt and the roundness of it and all that but even apart from that when you just have way less stuff and you're in a small place like you have more outside I just wanted to be in my own little jungle here with nature and that felt way bigger like in the heart to me than having a big house space and like you mentioned a lot there as well about you know working on the land and stuff like that what does that involve like what is the sort of day in the life when you step outside of the earth so like today and my friend if he listens to this he'll be like you haven't done anything since blah 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 like so he's the guy that pushes me he helps me here sometimes and then I mightn't see him for a week and he'll come here and he'll be like oh you didn't do that and you didn't do this but I'm like, well, I have to do so yeah like at the moment there is oh god I have loads of wood that I need to bring up actually you know you would think winter will be less busy but it's actually busy because of the wood soon I'm going to get a lot of wood dropped off and I don't know how long it's going to take me to wheelbarrow it all up it's quite a mission to do that <laughs> I totally lapsed in my garden but like you would be doing the garden as well at the moment I'm doing things like I'm going around collecting stones on the land there's loads of big beautiful red sandstone here and the place is a total mud pit now that it's um, winter time and I don't have enough money to pay for more gravel like I have a little gravel path but I, I had to stop you know because I ran out of money so now I'm just making a path with like bigger stones and stuff like that 
that there's so many little things to do. Like I have another shed down there and that is going to be turned into like a kitchen space. Because there's such little storage, like everything is just thrown in as well. I need to sort out all my storage stuff. That's something I have to do. I bought a garden shed last year, so I need to organize that. And the next job really is to try and get that shed down there turned into a little kitchen space and just an area for somebody to stay in so that if somebody comes, they can help me here on the land. Because everything is completely overgrown, like it's totally, totally raw. So you're clearing away overgrown branches and chopping stuff away and they just grow back and you're doing it again. <laughs> Sounds like hard work. Yeah, it, there's a lot of like lifting and things like that, yeah, you know? Like physical um, kind of work, yeah. Like it's nice because you're outside all the time and it just feels good to be outside and to be with it. And then you kind of clear an area and you make it nice. I mean, that's it, you know, trying to just make a small area livable outside is quite a big deal when it's completely mm. overgrown with briars. And then you're planting things that will grow, you know, certain herbs or whatever. I want to grow loads of stuff. So it's also just getting the ground ready. And planting trees is another thing. I would like to have planted more last year, but I planted a good few. And I did like a little tree nursery area where I kind of put them all there. So I'd like to disperse them around the place. And like how big would the land be that you're on? This land that I'm on, it's actually, it's a lot. It's not really agricultural land, you know, so it's quite boggy in places. But it's perfect for me because it's like up and down and there's little nooks and crannies, you know, it's really fairy like. There's another person on the other side of the land, but in total it's like 20 acres so but oh I gosh, oh, wow. like it wouldn't be all of mine you know what I mean and then like you mentioned to your neighbor had come down to you like how close would those neighbors so, be yeah he would be about a minute across the field oh, wow. oh okay so yeah. maybe that's what you probably don't feel like unsafe as well because you do have people near enough by yeah like if you walked up to the house it would be about a 15 minute walk through the road but okay. actually through the field it's only like a minute across <laughs> so yeah like I've got really good neighbors there's another guy and his partner and they're like German so they're really on the ball you know compared to Irish people who are all over the place and they're off gridders for years and they live completely completely away from society they're living completely sustainably and off grid so they don't need to buy anything really but they work very hard you know you see them and day in day out like they're just working really hard on their land and so I'm not at that stage yet so I can like lapse back a little bit you know is that kind of like the goal in the end with it is kind of just being able to live and not have to like work for more but like work for your own joy or to give back to the earth or you know that kind of way yeah like definitely I can't you can I don't know if you can hear it's raining now um <laughs> but yeah definitely to be able to not have to buy stuff in the supermarket would be a goal I would like to get more animals as well because I want to just tune into the animals a bit deeper I would like to have a little healing center here probably not as big as I envisioned it before you know but more of an organic kind of natural thing where people can come I just really want people to experience this like you know and this is a particularly magic place I think anyway and it's quite raw as well even though there is neighbours and I'm quite close to Galway here and I'm pretty close to Limerick I have places near me but the feeling of this place feels very very raw and kind of wild so the energy of this land I'm quite passionate about bringing people here because I think it would heal people a lot to come here the goal would be to kind of do that and to have other animals here and to be able to do healing with animals 
and help people through their stuff that way. You mentioned that nearby, like there's a couple that lives an off the grid lifestyle as well. So where you're living, is it kind of like a little bit of a community with like-minded people or did you just get lucky to be beside them? <laughs> I think I did get lucky to be beside them because it's really funny or everything is meant to be even. One of my best friends in Dublin, who's a total city boy, but he's, you know, he's like my brother. And he said to me uh, when I told him I was looking for land in County Clare and he said, oh I, I know this couple you know I'll have to introduce you to them they're amazing and then I just ended up living next door to them it was crazy he said they're literally like the best people to know about the off-grids in ways they would have looked after me too because I knew him because they were friends with him you know and it turned out that German guy that I was saying across the field he worked on the same festivals that I worked on for like years as well I worked on festivals for 10 years and so did he but we didn't actually meet then you know it's really strange but there is also a good community of people in this part of Clare and I would say certain parts of it are very much more kind of community based with off-gridders and alternative types this area there's like a mix between yeah the odd off-gridder and the farmers and you know so I kind of prefer it like that I don't want it to be too kind of hippie alternative I don't know you know I like I like to have a mix of everyone and even though there is a mix of people and there is an alternative lifestyle in County Clare I feel it's more for me I don't want to be living in a community as such either I'm very much a lone wolf because I think we're not used to living as tribes people either and there is a bit of this thing going on at the moment like you know oh my tribe and we just all do community living and yes it's a brilliant idea but it doesn't actually always work I think people need to be careful that way as well who they kind of get involved with, with stuff like that and reach out for the help so it's like people are there that I can really uh, look up to and get inspired by and they can teach me stuff but then I can kind of come back to my own little face and be like okay they're not in my face you know <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's all so interesting. And you mentioned about being a hairstylist as well. You're not doing that as much anymore, aren't you not? I do some neighbours' hair and they come to the yurt and they find it, you know. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, like, you know, they don't get big fancy blow dries, but we do have lovely chats and they come here and get their hair done. And sometimes I just do it for bartering, like, you know, I'll get things in return. Somebody might come and work on my land and I'll do their hair. But I do still have my clients. I used to live in Dublin for for 17 years so like I am from the country and I am from Tipperary and I grew up on a farm so I was always outdoors as a child but I did rebel and move to the big city so I had my clients in Dublin and they're beautiful loyal clients who I don't know how but they've still stayed with me over the years even though I might not see them for months on end and the hair gets really long but they still wait for me so I kind of go see them once a month depends on my lifestyle here. Do you do any other work or is it kind of just that every night sorry just trying to get a full kind of feel for it and everything you know yeah everything has taken a bit of a backseat so you know money wise if I am getting stuck I will do some hair I have clients a bit all over the place like I'll go over to Tipperary to my mother's house and do some clients there as well I do some trauma recovery work with people but stuff like that it's more donation based I don't ask for money but you know people will give me something so kind of works out like that 
I flow with how I'm going, I suppose, yeah. at any given moment. I don't like to be in a schedule of work or anything. Yeah, that's very interesting. So you mostly just kind of live off grid then and you don't try to be a part of like, you know, everything that we have going on here as much like money wise and all that. Yeah, I worked really hard, you know, for years. I worked nonstop and I used to do work at festivals. I had a little stall where I used to sell lots of creative stuff that I made for hair. And then I would also do my clients at home and I saved a lot of money that's how I bought my land and stuff but um I also have epilepsy so I really wanted my health to take priority and being with the land and working with the land was the main priority here that's also why I live so rawly I really wanted to commune fully with nature yeah that's really cool and we've seen as well that you would call yourself an energy intuitive so could you explain kind of what that is I suppose I think we all are that in a way but through my life I've always been quite fascinated with people and their energy and I could tune into people's feelings I suppose so that's what it's like it's tuning into the undercurrent of someone's feelings and kind of knowing what's going on with them as they'll speak to me and I will get even a sensation in my own body that now I can recognize it but years ago I would get confused if that was my own feeling or if it was theirs and they might not recognize it just yet but as someone that can hold the space for them I can aid them then in how to maybe work through that trauma or whatever they're going through and it's just as well picking up on energy when I came here first I was able to pick up on the energy of the land I'm quite going deeper with that as well and that's why I stripped everything bare to kind of live like this I did get rid of a lot of material possessions as well so that I could be a deeper energy intuitive really and how did that feel getting rid of those material items yeah it was really hard even the feeling of it in my body like I felt like I was going to puke at times it was like somebody ripping out your heart you know because I came out of a long-term relationship and I was like getting rid of all my stuff it was awful and there were some things that I kept it's funny because I was writing in my journal like journal writing is a big part of my practice as well and I was writing that I felt that to go deep the way I wanted I'd have to have everything stripped away and it's kind of like be careful what you wish for you know because <laughs> some of my stuff actually that I had kept got even set on fire in a place where I was living before and yeah it was all kind of tragic but I looked back on the journal and I'm like that's what I wrote though manifested <laughs> Yeah, be careful what you can ask for because in a weird way, it, it comes true and we don't really realize it at the time. But it felt awful. It really, it did. But then there was just this kind of higher knowing that this was going to be really, really good for my soul and it was going to heal me in ways. I've always been really fascinated by the brain and as well and how we attach onto things, you know. And for a long time, I've known that the secret to life is detaching and letting go. And it's a constant practice. So I knew that the less stuff that I had on a material sense, the easier it would be to inwardly let go as well. So yeah, I had to do it <laughs> despite the pain. Yeah, no, definitely. I'd imagine it makes you feel better mentally as well you're just yeah. so attached to things it's like ridiculous <laughs> and um Ugna had mentioned to me that you were very focused on kind of auras and stuff would you be able to explain what that means yeah um can you just give me two seconds yeah yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was so weird. I never have visitors, but my uh, neighbor <laughs> was dropping me down some groceries. Oh, it's um, your neighbor in a yurt as well, or are they in no, the house? In a house. 
I think the neighbors think I'm a bit mad around here. I remember when I moved here, it was quite scary and daunting and a bit lonely at times, but that was the point to go through all that as well. Then one of my cats went missing, which was obviously really heartbreaking, but I was out every day looking for her. And it was kind of a real pilgrimage because I started to meet loads of people on the road when I was out looking for her. And that's kind of how I met all my neighbours really was. Oh, wow. And they've been good to me ever since that was just my like 13 year old neighbor there dropped me down bucket of food so that was so um but sorry yeah you were asking me about, about auras, auras. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah our auras is the energy field around our bodies everybody feels auras whatever the language we use but everybody feels the energy of somebody else like you know if you go into a room and somebody's really angry you'll feel that as a child sometimes I would have seen colors more so I've definitely lost a bit of that as I've got older sometimes I do and it depends on the state that I'm in it doesn't really matter whether you see it or not it's trying to keep our own auras strong because our auras fuse with other people's auras I learned that the hard way I would have been so sensitive that I didn't realize when I was younger even when I was just doing people's hair and they'd be telling me stories or they'd just be going deep you know and that was really beautiful but because I was so connected to them that their energy field was fusing with mine and it was really draining me and making me really tired and weakening my own aura I think it's something that actually should be taught to kids in school Mm. about their auras and their energy field and keeping them strong and even if it's just doing a little bit of meditation you know first thing in the morning and first thing at night but always keeping that strong and then staying in awareness of it you'll notice it if you feel that feeling around somebody that you're uncomfortable with or you're in an uncomfortable situation you'll actually feel yourself come out of your energy field it's like a feeling of coming out of your body and that's your aura being weakened and in that moment other things can come into your aura even other energies that aren't human which might not be good either so uh, yeah whole other thing (laughs) you also said that you would kind of helped other people on their spiritual journey when they were talking to you so is that something that you would still kind of do or did you detach yourself from that and how does it actually work so I do still do that again it's very organic at the moment and I would in the future like to have more of a little healing center set up here and then organize things to happen here but I still do like little one-on-one sessions with people and through the whole COVID thing especially because people were in lockdown and people were really suffering you know so people were reaching out and some of my hair clients were actually reaching out and being like can we do some of that other work because that's how it happened with me initially it was about 10 years ago I was doing my own hair clients at home in the apartment I lived in in Dublin but I had before that become very depressed and I cut myself off a little bit to study a lot of this stuff and to save myself essentially and then I just brought that into doing it with other people and it just happened organically with people back then and I suppose then for a while I stopped doing it because I wasn't doing hair it was like doing hair and then doing that work went hand in hand and people would book in for longer for a session with me after the hair but yeah when I moved here I kind of started doing it again and people just naturally reached out really it's nicer to do it in person but we can still do it together online and it would be helping people really find out who they are you know because everybody has the answers 
inside of them. And it's usually very simple, but we're just so caught up, you know, with all the external and people need somebody. Everybody needs somebody like I need somebody else to facilitate for me, even though I can tune really deeply into another person. Sometimes if my own trauma and wounding is blocking myself from seeing something for myself, I'll make a massive mistake. So, yeah, I would do that with people where they get in touch with me and we would just have a chat about what's going on. I can see the wounding and where their little traumas are coming in and generally where it goes back to, you know, so it's trying to get to that root trauma from childhood because usually the thing they think they're upset about is really just a little part of themselves from when they were younger that's still unhealed. People can do talk therapy and all of that for a long time, but it's no good really to bring up all the trauma and then just leave it there with somebody because they'll start going and thinking about it by themselves and they'll start re-traumatizing themselves. So I like to really help people to tune into their own bodies by doing certain meditations or journeying with animals if they're open to it. I love doing healings with animals as animals being the guides. And yeah, just them listening to their own bodies and practicing this more and more so that in their daily life, they can become aware. And then I would check in on them because it's always about tuning into yourself. And then can you do it when you're not with the facilitator and writing it down? Like writing is a huge part of how I would do work with people as well. So yeah, between meditations and moving, like even online, we'll sometimes do movement meditations and movement therapy as well to just get the body moving because we can all kind of hold energy, but people don't really know how to do it. So it's really showing them how to do that. And then if they do get into those moments and no one's around, they can just be like, this is okay. And this is normal. And I'm just going to cry for a while. And now I'm going to write some stuff down and then I'm going to try and move the energy out of my body myself. You mentioned that you read up a lot about this kind of stuff when you were getting into it initially. Did you ever actually visit someone that does what you do now? I did loads of different workshops through my 20s. Like I'm 40 now. I should probably say that just to give it context. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in my kind of mid to late 20s, I started doing a lot of workshops. And then in my 30s as well, I kind of dived a bit deeper. I really started studying Carl Jung and shadow work. That actually really was the basis of my first things that I started doing with people because you know because we're all great at blaming everybody else but it's kind of like we have to look at the dark parts of ourselves and they're just little lost soul parts of ourselves and we all have our kind of victim places that we go to but it's actually knowing like I would have been a saver type girl you know with men I would have always been the rescuer and finding these broken men and helping them put the pieces back together while breaking myself even more and then they'd really mess me about and it's that classic empath narcissist kind of thing things gave me guidance you know but then I kind of created my own way of doing things and I would have a couple of mentors for sure that uh, still guide me like one woman I remember it really changed my life actually her name is Caroline Carey and I did this week-long shamanic course with her over in England but her story I read all her books and that's another thing it's like you can do some courses or you can do some workshops but if the person and the energy of the person isn't resonating with your energy it doesn't really matter what they're telling you or what they're teaching you it won't go in and it won't land in the body and I always say that to people about me too you know do a session with me but if if my energy and your energy isn't bonding, you know, you have to feel into that. And that's really important. It's not really about what we say. It's about how it feels for you when you're around me. 
like I've made mistakes with mentors before, you know, where I've read their bio and there's so much out there in the spiritual world that it's very confusing for people. And it's very confusing for people to start trusting their own intuition on who they should go to or who they should pay money to. I want to teach people to actually listen to their own inner guidance. Yeah. And uh, what was your own um, spiritual journey like? I would say I've just always been on a spiritual journey and where I'm at now, I've just gone almost full circle to being the child I once was. There was definitely things that gave me that kick to do certain things like have an epiphany or an awakening having epileptic seizures really drove me to finding out a lot about this stuff and going deep with meditation. I wasn't really getting any help from the medical profession. I felt I have to heal myself. Like I have to find out about this. And I knew that it was more, you know, it wasn't just you take a tablet and that's it. And I was starting to tune in with my epilepsy too, how when I was around a certain person that really made me in distress, I'd noticed myself come out of my body and then I'd probably go into a seizure mine was very extreme and a seizure could kill me so I guess the epilepsy was a huge spiritual awakening for me but I was definitely having little awakenings ever since I was a child because I was kind of on this path alone like I had no brothers and sisters and I was always obsessed with animals I was always obsessed with living outside like I mean I'm doing now what I did then you know and I always fought against the system as a child I never wanted to go to school I used to tune in probably even a lot deeper then to my animals and I would hear their thoughts I'd come in and tell my mom and my dad and sure they just think I was bonkers you know <laughs> we had calves and they'd be premature and stuff and I would always lay my hands on them and do little healings with them I feel like the spiritual awakening is like I'm relearning those things that I knew inherently how to do as a child and I had to push away everything like clear and strip everything away so I could relearn all that again and remember who I was. Spirituality has become so popular over the last while and we were just kind of wondering if you think that people are kind of capitalizing on this and as a result there being kind of all that confusion about what it really is. Yeah big fat yes to that one it's something something actually that's making me really angry these days and people are totally capitalizing and cashing in on it and using people's vulnerabilities to make money and it's so wrong you know and I think that's what I meant like earlier on as well when I said I want people to really tune into facilitators energy you know because there's a lot of this going on there's a lot of people actually feeling so left out because they don't have like a community you know or like their tribe these buzzwords are being used and it's actually really traumatic traumatizing people and then people like me who are genuine you know I don't really know where I fit in in that world actually and I don't want to come across like one of those people and I just feel like these days the spiritual world has really turned into yeah a money-making pit you know um so it's quite dark actually people are putting themselves down because they see these other people on Instagram spiritual people that are just they've got it figured out and I just want to say to people like they don't you know, they absolutely don't have it figured out at all. And if there's any facilitator that is making you feel like they have it completely figured out and that they don't suffer daily triggers themselves, like they're not real then and don't pay for them, basically. 
if people are going through stuff right now because it is an awful time and people are going through a lot just remember so is everybody else not to feel alone and actually to reach out someone like me or to talk to a friend talk to a friend that you really trust um, because it is a time where we're going to have to lose a lot of friends people are actually becoming more in tune and this is why people are hurting more too because they're becoming more in tune so if people are hurting out there and you know they're finding everything really hard the silver lining of that is they're actually becoming more in tune with themselves which is a really good thing and do more dancing dance on your own <laughs> remember to do loads of dancing because we have to move the energy because otherwise we stay in kind of loops of sickness and sickness inside our minds you know so we have to move it out of the body basically so. that's brilliant thanks for all the advice <laughs> I hope it does some good. Thank you guys. That was awesome. It was Absolutely. so interesting. Yeah. It was great chatting to you. Really, really interesting. You've actually made me consider the off the grid lifestyle. <laughs> Might even put a year in my bedroom and just chill in that for the vibes. <laughs> Have a lovely day, guys. Thank you, you too. too. Bye. Bye. And thank you to all our listeners. We hope you guys tune in next time. Bye.